0: Welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We are part way through a series. For those who are here for the first time, okay. So I trust that um, what I share this morning is kind of self-contained. But it is actually part of a series, the second part of a series which we're doing called Forgotten God. And the reason that we are, this whole series is looking at the Holy Spirit as a subject. And the reason we are doing that, if you'll excuse me, is that there's much confusion in the church regarding the Holy Spirit. Not just in this church, but you know across the board, Christians have many and very different understandings of what or who the Holy Spirit is and what he's He does or doesn't do. And that's not surprising when you think about the last 2,000 years of church history, and the Holy Spirit has been very much misunderstood, he's been misrepresented, he's been totally minimised in many occasions, and at times he's been totally ignored altogether. And so my question right at the start of this message is, what about you? How prominent in your thinking or your life is the Holy Spirit? Who is he or what is he in your thinking? Have you received him into your life? How do you know if you have? And what's the result of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life? I'm sure if I asked you or you gave me some feedback, there'd be a whole bunch of different answers to some of those questions. Some of you would would possibly be very certain in your understanding of who he is and your experience of having received him and what he's done in your life since. But many people are sure will be a lot more vague than that. And so today, what we're going to have a look at is just the theology of the Holy Spirit. Okay, just some, some truth about who he is. And uh, I don't know about you, but theology, you know, you say that word, and it's one of those words that kind of like... You know, you just sort of start to get comfortable in your chair and, you know, because it's a good time to sleep, right? Well, no, it's not. Okay, the theology, true theology, should not be boring and it should not be irrelevant. It should be practical and it should be helpful and it should be inspirational, I think. Because it's about our God and He's all of those things. And so theology should not be like I said, knowledge for knowledge's sake. It should not be highfalutin. It should not be out of the realms of the masses. It should be something that we can all grasp and understand and live out of. And so that's what I'm hoping to do this morning is I just share a few truths about the Holy Spirit. The first thing I want to share this morning about the Holy Spirit is simply this, that he is a person. If you've got your Bibles, if you'd like to turn to me, with me into John chapter 14. John chapter 14, sort of the first... It's the start of a a whole sort of conversation really about the Holy Spirit as Jesus talks to his disciples about who he is and what he will do and so on and so forth. But I want to pick up on verse 16. And Jesus says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be... In you. So that to me is fairly plain about the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person, but I can understand why people get a little bit confused because generally speaking, um, we, we identify personhood with a body for a start. I mean, all the people I know have got bodies, right? Um, but the Holy Spirit is invisible. Okay, he doesn't have a physical body like we do. The Bible also talks a lot about the Holy Spirit in symbolic terms. It talks about the Holy Spirit in terms of wind and fire and oil and water and so on and so forth. So there's that symbolic element, I think, which can blur a little bit um, who the Holy Spirit is or what the Holy Spirit exactly is. But I think in that scripture there that I just mentioned, it's quite obvious when Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit, he doesn't say when it comes, but he says when he comes. Okay, there's a personal pronoun there, so we're talking straight away about a person we see also the title is his counselor and again that i guess to me assumes personhood and so there are plenty of attributes and again you don't find a you don't when you're reading the bible often when it comes to theology it's kind of teased out it's not all there for you on a plate okay when you're looking for doctrine or truth about certain topics very very rarely do you find a sentence that says you know, the Holy Spirit is a person. All right? Or, or th- things to that, um, you know, like that. What you generally find you have to do a bit of in- deductive reasoning. Okay? And so you take little bits of, of what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, you put them all together and you build a picture. And so again, personhood itself is not necessarily dependent upon a body. If we talk about God the Father, none of us are going to deny that He's a person. But again, He doesn't have a physical body like we do. So, having a body is not de- being a person is not dependent upon having a body. Likewise, when a person passes from this life into the next, they don't cease to be a person. Okay, they just leave their body behind. Okay, so you don't need to have a body to be a person. But there are certain things you do need to have and be able to do in order to be a person. And the Holy Spirit exhibits all of those things. If you read through the Bible and just take note of some of the things it says about Him, you'll see that He thinks and He exercises His will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it talks about the body, the church as a body. And it says that the Holy Spirit gives gifts according to his will, as he determines. Okay, so he is making decisions about the body of Christ and what he will give us in, to, in order to help us fulfill the purpose that, that God the Father has given to us, or the mission. He speaks in Acts chapter 10, verse 19, just as one example, but there are many. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, you you may know the story. Philip um, is walking down a road and there's a guy in in a chariot just reading some of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go up alongside the chariot. And basically from there ensues the salvation of this man. But the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip. So again, that's what people do. People speak. The Holy Spirit feels, it's possible in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it tells us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit speaks, he thinks, he has a will, he has emotions. All of these things are personal attributes of the Holy Spirit. There are many, many more, as you read through Scripture, that you'll find for yourselves, but essentially, he's a person. Okay. Now again, I don't tell you that just so you can say, Ah, oh, okay, so the Holy Spirit's a person. No, I tell you that because... If the Holy Spirit is a person or an impersonal force, has a massive difference in terms of how we relate to him. If he is just an impersonal force, I take one approach to him. If he is a person, I take a different approach to him. I guess it's the difference between you know, relationship and ritual. If we don't understand the Holy Spirit as a person, we will develop rituals in our lives. Whereas if we understand he's a person, we can develop a relationship. The things with rituals is that they are static. Okay, they are unchanging, they are routine They're inflexible Ultimately, they're very boring It's kind of like If the Holy Spirit is a power to be conjured up And one day we crack the code And he heals someone Or he gives us a wonderful experience Or brings some revelation Or something like that If he's just, if he's just an impersonal force Something to be conjured up And it works once What do we do as people? We think, ah, that'll work again and so we develop a tradition. We develop a ritual around that. And much of what church, much of what is death today in church, was life once. And if people understood about God having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, they would be flexible and able to change with the times. But we often don't. We perceive Him to be something other than a person, and and we just think that He can be something that He can be conjured, conjured up, or He's like a like a safe to be cracked if you get the right combination or something like that. But relationships are totally different. Relationships are dynamic. They change over time. They're able to adapt to circumstances. What's good today in any relationship that you choose to care, talk about, whether it be one uh, as a parent to a child, whether it be as a husband to a wife, or just as a friend to a friend, what is good today, what gets one response today, may not necessarily get the same response tomorrow. Because there are a whole bunch of different things impinging on that circumstance. Okay, so <clears throat> there's a whole lot of factors that come into the equation. And so, certainly, you know, in in my marriage, there are some things which are fine one day, but not fine the next. Certainly, as a parent, my kids can do one thing that's fine one day, but it might not be fine in 10 years' time because I'm expecting growth and maturity and initiative and all those sort of things to be coming to the fore. Okay, a greater level of responsibility to be taken and all of that sort of stuff. So, it's not surprising, really, that, you know, one thing that worked for us once when we were a new Christian. If we just keep doing that thing and expecting the same result, it's not always going to happen that way for us. The Holy Spirit is expecting us to to develop a relationship. That relationship involves communication. And it's communication that promotes understanding ultimately and change. Our relationships are not limited by our environment. Again, some people, their idea of the Holy Spirit is very limiting. They expect that he has to, you know, he can only really operate in an environment like this, or with music playing, or some other thing. But a relationship operates anywhere. A relationship with God can operate inside the four walls of a church building, or it can operate outside. It can operate in in, amongst Christians. It can operate amongst non-Christians, as any relationship can. The Holy Spirit is like Jesus. He's like Jesus. He's holy, but he's not religious. He's not prudish. He's not boring. He's not weird. He's flexible. He's able to adapt to different times and cultures. Like I said, he doesn't just turn up at church. I think one of the dangers is with the Holy Spirit, we get locked into a good time once and we can tend to perpetuate that thing, whereas the Holy Spirit is wanting to move on. Jesus was very different amongst different groups of people. He was comfortable wherever he went. He was comfortable, sometimes a bit ticked, but amongst the Pharisees and the religious dudes, he could, he could certainly relate there. He could relate amongst the Samaritans. He could, he could relate amongst sinners. He, he was able to be taken anywhere, and he wasn't, he wasn't out of his depth. So too the Holy Spirit, and yet sometimes we're so precious about what, you know, what sort of environments we feel the Holy Spirit can operate in or can't operate in. I mean, the Holy Spirit may actually have a favourite style of music. I don't know. But much of what we try and. You never know, that might be it. We might be grieving him right now, Benno. The churches across the world might be grieving him. He really just wants country and Western, and we're giving him all this other stuff. Much of what we equate to the presence of the Holy Spirit is often just our preference. It's often rooted in our past experiences and our comfort zones. And so, you know, Tone's mentioned many times in this pulpit, and I, and I certainly can concur with that. You know, there are things that, that I very definitely have in my past that are, that are deeply rooted there in terms of what, where I sort of first met or first encountered the Holy Spirit moving. There are certain music styles associated, associated with all of that. There are certain songs that perhaps being... And so those things... The moment I hear those things, a whole bunch of, of feeling comes flooding back in, a whole bunch of memories come flooding back in, and it makes it very easy for me to, I guess, get in the mode to experience God or pick up on God's presence. But it doesn't mean he's any less presence if there's a different style of music playing. It doesn't mean he's any less presence present if there's a different style of preaching. We're better off spending time deepening our relationship with Him than just trying to develop some sort of religious formula to manipulate him by. I think a lot of what people pass off as Christianity is more like witchcraft to me. It's more about trying to conjure God up with some formula, be that a prayer formula, be it a fasting formula, or be it a do-goods formula or whatever, rather than just actually have a relationship with God. It's kind of like God the person gets left aside and we do whatever we can to try and get him to do something for us. And we totally... You know the whole name it and claim, it. If I can claim enough promises, if I can say them loud enough or fervently enough or memorize enough of the Bible, or you know, Jesus spoke about. Don't be like the pag- pagans that just babble on all the time. You know, we see that in the Old Testament with Elijah, there was a whole bunch of noise and froth, froth and bubble, and there was cutting and sacrifice from the prophets of Baal, and God was totally ignoring them. They didn't have a relationship with God. They just had this formula thing they were trying to work up. And Elijah was rested. He was, he was just in communion with God. And I think so much of some, sometimes the stuff, the stuff that we stress ourselves out about, the, the religious things we do, is often because we just have forgotten that we'd have a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not a style. Okay, we have. I remember talk, talking to someone once, And um, I was just trying to help him. I think I was trying to help him. Hopefully I was trying to help him. Um, But I just noticed that whenever this person spoke about God, be it in a different context, maybe preaching or just speaking to a small group or something, but it's like everything about him would change. And so like you had the person, the normal person that everyone knew, and then you had this other person who suddenly appeared every now and then um, when given a platform. And I said... What is that? And you go, oh, that's just when the Holy Spirit comes on me, brother. I said, "Well, maybe. Well, maybe it's just something that you picked up in the first church you went to in the seventies, and just haven't been able to shake it off, because <laughs> because Jesus, you know, he was flexible. The Holy Spirit is like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is flexible, and we all of us have to be flexible." You know, we can't get away with what we can get away with 20 or 30 years. We have to change and develop and grow with, with our culture and grow with our relationships. Otherwise, we just get left behind and become irrelevant. And so let's not consign the Holy Spirit to irrelevance in people's thinking because of our weirdness and our inability to let go of the past or our preferences or whatever. Okay? So he's a person. It's about a relationship. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is fully God. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, we see that Ananias and Sapphira died because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Peter also says that they lied to God. So again, by deductive reasoning, we can therefore assume that the Holy Spirit is God. So just as people downgrade the Holy Spirit from being a person, people also downgrade him in terms of his godliness. He's often thought of as less than God. The poor cousin of the the Trinity or whatever. But he is God. You know, many Bible believing, creed saying or knowing, you know, they talk about the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Many people who know that don't live like that. It's kind of like there's God the Father, there's Jesus up there as well, and then there's the Holy Spirit down here somewhere. But the Holy Spirit is not, like I said, impersonal. He is God and he has all the attributes of God. The Trinity, just just by way of a quick deviation, is simply this, for those that don't understand, but there are some truths that the Bible tells us about the nature and character of God that we need to hold in tension. The Bible is absolutely emphatic about the fact that there is one God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, we hear in Deuteronomy, very early on in the piece. But then, as we read the Bible and unfolds before us, we see that God the Father is, is called God, and we see that... Jesus, the Son, is also called God, and the Holy Spirit is also called God. Hang on a minute. Now we've got three gods. Hang on, that doesn't quite... Well, no, the Bible says there's one God, but that one God consists of three distinct personalities. But having said that, they're not like thirds. You know, God the Father has certain attributes of God, and Jesus has other certain attributes of God, and Holy Spirit... No, they're all fully God at the same time. Okay, so I like to I think the term Godhead kind of sums it up fairly well because it kind of gets us out of thinking just, you know, one person. But God is one consisting of three personalities. Does that make sense? Probably doesn't. It's all right. <laughs> Don't fully get it myself, but I believe it because it's in the Bible. <clears throat> all right, so the word Trinity so talks about a tri unity, a three part unity. That's where we get Trinity from. It's not too spooky. All right, so we see throughout the Bible that the divine attributes of Jesus and of the Father are also attributed to the Holy Spirit. The fact that He is present everywhere—where can I go from Your Spirit, Lord? Psalm 139. So He's omnipresent, everywhere present. He's eternal. Hebrews chapter nine, fourteen just refers to Him as the eternal Spirit. <clears> or <throat> well, He's all-knowing. One Corinthians chapter two, verse ten to nine: Who will know the mind of God but the Spirit of God? he's all-powerful, he's holy, etc., etc. All of the things that pertain to Jesus and to the Father also pertain to the Spirit. He doesn't differ in essence. Where the difference comes, if there is one, in terms of the Godhead, is just simply in role. What each member of the Godhead does is slightly different to what the other uh, member of the Godhead does, which we'll look at a little bit later on. In terms of how do we apply the fact that the Holy Spirit is God, well, If he is God, therefore he is worthy of worship. Okay, some people get all around, you know, can we worship the Holy Spirit? Is that kind of sacrilegious or something? Or can we pray to the Holy Spirit? Or should we, or shouldn't we? Look, at the end of the day, he is God. And God is not at odds within himself, in a sense. God is totally united in purpose, totally in harmony. So it's totally appropriate for us to praise the Holy Spirit. It's totally appropriate to us to obey the Holy Spirit it's totally appropriate for us to speak with the Holy Spirit now again Jesus gave us a formula for prayer our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom so if, if you're looking for a strict formula you know pray to the Father in the name of Jesus it's basically what that means is that we come to him on the basis of what Jesus has done for us okay but we also see the early church in Acts praying to Jesus and again I don't know about you but I get up in the morning I say Holy Spirit help me today so prayer is just Communicating with God at its base level, totally appropriate. There's no no jealousy, no competition within the Godhead. They are in completely one accord. They have the same goal, the same purpose in mind. The other thing, just quickly, I want to look at in terms of the fact that the Holy Spirit is God is this whole idea of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You know, the unforgivable sin. You may have read that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 32. You know, Jesus said, "You can, If you blaspheme me, you'll be forgiven. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you won't be forgiven. And I know from talking to people, even people in this room, that this is one of those things that people, it's like, I think I've committed that. I think I've done that. Am I going to, you know, is that unforgivable? I said something bad against God when on a bad moment, I, I, you know, I said something I shouldn't have about God or about the Holy Spirit. But again, we need to put things in context. When Jesus is talking about that, he's talking to the Pharisees. And they were basically saying of Jesus that the works he was doing, the miracles he was doing, which was supposed to be a sign proving that God was with him, they were saying, that's the devil at work in you, not the Holy Spirit. So if we want to look at it logically, what Jesus is really saying is that if you reject the evidence that is given you in order to have faith, how can you be saved? The Holy Spirit is the one ultimately who is the interface between God and man right now. God the Father is in heaven, Jesus is in heaven, the Holy Spirit is here now, and he is the one that is operating around about us and, and, and bringing us to faith. But if we reject his work, it's impossible to be saved because we remain under judgment. We start under judgment, we just remain under judgment. That's all it is. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have not committed the unforgivable sin. If you did, you wouldn't be here. You certainly wouldn't be worrying about it. You'd be so hardened to God. You wouldn't even believe he existed. So, if you're worried about it, don't worry. You haven't committed it. If you did, you wouldn't be worried about it. So if you're not worried about it, hang on. (laughs) Just means you probably haven't committed it. (laughs) All right, the third thing I want to have a look at quickly this morning. So the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is fully God. But the Holy Spirit is with us now. Alluded to it just a moment ago. God the Father in heaven, Jesus the Son in heaven, Holy Spirit with us now. John chapter 14. Mentioned it before. I'll go there again in a minute. But I talked about this whole difference of roles. You know, God the Father initiated the plan of salvation. Talks about that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, and many other places. Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins, to make salvation possible. Okay, that is distinctly Jesus' role. God the Father did not die, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was buried, Jesus rose again. But now the Holy Spirit is involved in the process of making salvation actual. Jesus made it possible. Do you understand what I'm saying? With, through what Jesus did, salvation became possible. Now the Holy Spirit has the role of working in us and through the church and in order to save lost souls, in order to bring people to God, in order to build the church, to bring people out of the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom of light. That's essentially the role of the Holy Spirit. So there's there's a difference in terms of what they do. I want to read a few scriptures and I want you to listen carefully to them, okay? I just want to draw a few conclusions and then I'll be finished. So some scriptures I want you to listen to very, very, very carefully. John chapter 16, verse 7. I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. This is Jesus speaking. It says, Unless I go away, the counsellor, in brackets, Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's the first scripture. The second one is Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. This is Peter speaking. He says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And Jesus will come and live in your heart. Is that what he says? What does he say? He says, No, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now I think we've reduced, and I say this cautiously, many of us, we've reduced becoming a Christian to, Jesus, come and live in my heart. And it's very passive when we look at it that way. The gift or the promise to the early church was that the Holy Spirit would come and live in their lives. And Jesus said, it's better for you that I go. Acts chapter 8, verse 14, it says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God... They sent Peter and John to them, and when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's a gift. Holy Spirit, like any gift, needs to be received. Acts chapter nine, verse seventeen it says, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the last one, Acts chapter 19, verse 1 to 2, says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first believed? Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff there which can be processed. I just want to tease out a few little bits of truth out of that. The first one, as I mentioned, is that Jesus said, It's better for you to go, it's better for me to go, that I can send the Holy Spirit. How many of us live like, I wish Jesus had stayed? If we're honest. I mean, I know we know that's not the right thing to say. So we'll all say, oh no, it's much better to have the Holy Spirit, but <clears throat> but in reality we're thinking, I wish Jesus was here. <laughs> I wish he lived next door to me. Is that true? It's necessary that Jesus went in order that the Holy Spirit could come. We are living in what is often termed the church age. And it's an age which is a privileged age in that there's an entirely new level of access to God himself through the Holy Spirit. If you read the Old Testament and you read the New Testament, there's a big difference in terms of access to God. And so Jesus made a big deal about this gift that was to come. He emphasised it time and time again, and the early church, as, we, as I've read, made a big deal about this gift that was to come. That The focus was more on receive the Holy Spirit than receive Jesus into your heart. In the Old Testament, a visit from God, the Holy Spirit, was temporary, and it was occasional. It didn't happen very often. You now there's the example of Samson who just Went about doing his own thing, and every now and then God's Spirit would come upon him and empower him to do something. And that's very much the pattern in the Old Testament. God's Spirit would come occasionally and temporarily. Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit who will be with us forever as a constant companion. John 14, 16. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit empowered a select few. In the New Testament, his presence is for all believers Acts chapter 238 which I read before is for all who believe In the Old Testament people went to the temple in the New Testament people are the temple John chapter 4 verse 17 talks about that 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 do you not know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit it's through his indwelling presence, okay, that we are able to live supernatural lives. Supernatural lives. Hear me, supernatural lives. Natural lives, but with an edge. With God's presence revealed in there somewhere. Not super spiritual lives. Because super spiritual lives, I think, is when we can't break out of the past. We can't break out of it, like I said before. you know, We kind of get locked in a time warp somewhere or a style and we try and project something onto the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit, like I said, is not weird Jesus was the most normal, sane individual that ever walked on the face of the planet, he was totally relatable yes he offended people yes he did some unusual stuff but in the context of who he was in the context of what resulted nothing weird about it he it like made total sense, Like I get this guy I know Christians who aren't like that <laughs> So, do you probably? And I've been like that. This church, when we first, I'm sure we were very much like that. There were things, we were totally indulging ourselves in worship and spending, you know, a whole bunch of time, having a great time worshipping God and, and, you know, hearing from God. And all, but a lot of it was style, a lot of it was preference, a lot of it was, you know, very us focused, and it wasn't overly helpful in terms of getting the mission of God completed. People probably would have come to our church and did come to our church of 13 or 14 people and, and think, this is weird. <laughs> I'll go somewhere else, thank you very much. And, but over time, we've realised that we need to change because God's not weird. And I think there was a time, you know, there was, God was gracious to us and was doing stuff in us in that time. And certainly we had some truth that we were really trying to live out. Um, but I think now we're a little bit wiser in handling that truth and living out that truth. And hopefully it's a little bit more accessible to people alright so God's presence is to cause us to live supernaturally natural lives but with a God empowered edge on it not just for our glory or for our own entertainment but to help people who don't know God come to know him the second point so this gift is more precious than Jesus being here right now Okay, so we've got to Get that out of our thinking. It'd be great to have you here, Jesus, <laughs> which it would be. But the fact is, Jesus—where would he live? Let's just say Jesus chooses to live in Jerusalem. That's a problem for me. I, you know, I wouldn't have very regular fellowship with the second person of the Holy Trinity because I just wouldn't get there very often. I've never been there yet. Don't even know if I'll get there in this life. And for most of us, that would be the same if Jesus was still here on Earth. He'd be very popular. Even if you could get to Jerusalem, imagine the line. How much time would you get? I mean, think of the squillions of people that want to see him, and think about how long your life is. And, you know, you probably don't have long enough time to stand that line. So it is better. It's better every one of us can have God's presence dwelling in us. We can hear from God in the moment like that, we can be empowered by God in the moment. The second thing is, just from those scriptures that I read before, is that they didn't just assume that a person, because they were a believer, was empowered by the Holy Spirit. They asked the question, did you receive when you believed? Did you receive when you believed? They went to Samaria, already believers. They prayed for them, they might receive the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we can assume that we've received just because we've believed. And if we do, well, we're kind of operating under false pretenses. We're just not operating in the fullness of what... We're living still under Old Testament. Yes, we'll have our good days. We also have, have our bad days. Yes, we can come to church and we can hear from God. But then God's presence will lift again when we leave the building. Or, you know, God can, God can break into any one of our lives at any time. He is God. And he is gracious and he is good. But he's got a pattern in his word that if we follow it, We're going to be far more fruitful and far more fulfilled as believers. So don't assume. Secondly, there was no ambiguity with regards to who had and who hadn't received. And I spoke a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago in the evening and I'd encourage you to to get the MP3 of that. Because there is definite evidence when God came. People knew when God was there. In the Old Testament, when God was in the temple... Remember when Solomon opened the temple? God's presence came. It was undeniable. People had to get out of the temple. It's like the glory of God came. And there was a sign, I'm here now. In our lives, scripturally speaking, there is a sign. The Holy Spirit, when he comes into our life, he lets people know, I'm here now. And we spoke about the gifts that come, that we spoke about speaking other languages, we spoke about the praise or the prophecy that can come forth. It's a sign that God has taken up residence in our lives in a permanent, indwelling way. We want to move out of Old Testament Christianity, which is where many people live, into New Testament Christianity. I've just spoken about a few things which, like I said, they're, they're, it's theology, it's truths about God. I haven't really spoken even about what he wants to do yet in our lives. Having come, what, how does he... Where do we go from there? What can we expect? Well, they're the sort of things that Tone's going to share next week. So I strongly, strongly, strongly encourage you to come back next week and hear more about that. Because it, it, life gets exciting when you realize, and I think ignorance is our biggest, is our biggest enemy, really, or forgetfulness or busyness. You know, we, just, we know these things at times, and we just, we just drift from them. Or we, perhaps we've never heard them, and it's like, wow, that's, that's entirely new to me. Well, that's why we preach, because we want to create an expectation, and so we want to. We've, I've spoken to you about the relationship you can have with God, the Holy Spirit. Tone wants to speak next week about what we can expect that He will do now through our lives. I was so encouraged this week. Obviously, we had our, our women's conference last week, and we, Tone spoke or so began speaking about the Holy Spirit, and just to hear people going away from from the last weekend and putting into practice what they'd heard and actually hearing from God. And God began to direct their lives. They began to do things. They began to live supernaturally. Supernaturally. In the natural, they would have just done this. Supernatural, they did that. I I know Andre was saying, he was just telling me how he went and visited a person. He wouldn't have visited. But for the leading of the Holy Spirit. I remember talking to a a lady, um, I think it was Melissa Schofield, and she was saying how there was a situation that arose where she caused offence to someone. But her response was totally different because she knows God than had she not known God. Okay, it's a natural life with a supernatural edge on it. That's what God wants to do. And that's just, that's just, like the, that's just the tiniest little tip of the iceberg compared to what God actually wants to do in, through us, in us and through us. So in conclusion, Holy Spirit is a person we can have a relationship with. He is God. He is therefore worthy of worship, of prayer and obedience. And thirdly, He's God's gift to us. Have we received him? Are we living in a New Testament manner and measure of the Holy Spirit? Or are we living kind of partly New Testament but partly Old Testament lives? I want to encourage you, this is coming Wednesday. We have our prayer meeting, which is open to all and sundry. It's not open to super spiritual people only. It's not open to... People have received the Holy Spirit and know it only. It's not open to leaders only. It's just open to everyone who calls himself a believer. And one of the things that we want to do, we're going to pray about a whole bunch of stuff and we're going to proceed it by fasting. Um, again, just going without food. Mate, how's this 40-hour famine? You know, back in the good old days. You used to not eat, right? That was tough. <laughs> I remember, it's, I reckon I reckon. I went through a bag of barley sugars at school and <laughs> just toughened it out now, Sally Ann was telling me at Kings, they've got kids doing all these things and some are fasting from technology. So can't use my computer today. Some are fasting from furniture. Can't sit down in class today. Oh, come on, give me a break. We're not doing a fast like that on Wednesday, all right? We are fasting from food. And I know that there are some people who did it first time. Last week, we, we, we resumed our prayer meeting about a month ago. We had our first prayer meeting back for some time. Um, on a Wednesday night, and we accompanied it with fasting. Many people fasted for the first time, and we're just so blessed and so blown away by either the fact they actually went for a day without food, but just the heightened sensitivity and expectation as they came to a prayer meeting, expecting to hear from God and just being able to involve themselves at a different, deeper level. And so I want to encourage you to join us here on Wednesday night and to accompany it with fasting. Can I go one step further and say, if you are a bit ambiguous about what I, and don't really get me when I was talking about have you received the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to listen to the MP3, read the book of Acts and, and see, you know, get, get a bit of a hunger and a bit of a passion to, I want this Holy Spirit in my life in this way. Because we would love to, after the prayer meeting, continue the prayer meeting and pray for people who have not yet received the Holy Spirit in a tangible way. Like I said, it wasn't ambiguous. People knew when the Holy Spirit had arrived, and we want you to have that confidence as well. After we spoke a couple of weeks ago, we had some people who, who received the Holy Spirit with evidence that God's presence had arrived. Their lives are changed. There's a new dimension. They can't don't fully get it, but they sense there's another dimension at work in their lives that was not currently there before. Before that, faithful believers, passionate people, awesome, faithful people, etc., etc. No, no condemnation whatsoever, but just discovering a new dimension of. of God's life at work in them. Excellent. Can we pray? And then we'll hand back over to our worship team and we'll conclude this morning. Father, I just want to thank you for your awesome plan of salvation. I want to thank you for the Son, Jesus Christ, who came and died on our behalf, made a way back to you. I thank you that he accomplished something that we could never accomplish for ourselves. thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And I thank you that the Holy Spirit has come to help us to make that truth real in our lives and to share it with others. Lord, we acknowledge that the life you are calling us to is too hard to do in our own strength. It's too tough. We're not clever enough. We're not good enough. We're not patient enough, kind enough, compassionate enough persistent enough, rich enough, faithful enough, anything enough when we consider the opposition that the church has endured over the years. Most of us would fold like a packet of cards at the first sign of opposition. We're happy while people accept us and think we're nice. We haven't really experienced persecution. God, we need your help. We need you to come and empower us, Holy Spirit. God, would you come afresh, even now? Would you stir in us? Lord, those of us that have received, may we receive again. If we've fallen, if we've we've stumbled, if if we've backed away, God, may we remember the height from which we've fallen and when we press into you again and seek to live life out of the overflow of who you are rather than in our own strength. Lord, for those that have perhaps never received either through ignorance or fear or any other reason. Lord God, I pray that that you would inspire and encourage them to come back to your word, to see that I'm telling the truth and to seek you and wait for you and ultimately to receive you. Let that be, Lord, I pray. May we live as Jesus lived. Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, empowered by the Spirit, If we are to call ourselves Christians, surely we too need to be anointed ones. Let that be, Lord, I pray. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.